Hey friends, we're excited to offer you this longish two-part series on something we've been kind of brewing up for a while, and it's been something that we were a little uncomfortable sharing with you, but it's the importance of Jungian archetypes, tarot cards, and then a new phenomenon out on the market, which uh, are these oracle cards that are a little bit more like devotionals of a kind of new age sort, depending on which ones you get. We are going to do a two-part show because golly, there was just so much to cover. Uh, in the first part, we are going to mainly talk about our uneasy relationship with tarot and how we got into it and uh, the reason we think it's important for people to consider at least as a tool uh, for folks uh, who have found themselves getting out of abusive or uh, unhealthy religious contexts and uh, for people that just want to kind of disentangle from their religious upbringing but they still want to have those reflective um, images and spaces. We're going to talk about the psychologist Carl Gustav Jung and how his idea of the uh, archetypes of the collective unconscious help us to understand the way tarot cards can work for us, not as fortune-telling, parlor trick type things, but as, uh, as tools for inner work and exploration and understanding circumstances. We'll get into all of that. Uh, in the second part, we're going to then shift uh, into more of a conversation about some of the specific oracle decks we've found helpful. We'll kind of give mini reviews of a few. We'll just kind of introduce you to a few of those cards. Uh, but then we will uh, kind of do a little bit of reading from them spontaneously live so that you can see how it works. And we'll show you uh, why, even though it seems to be a little woo-woo, uh, there's something, something interesting about it and something that's been very helpful boy oh boy for some of you we just keep coming with uh with things that are going to push your boundaries and uh we're sorry about that but that is that that is the game when we're exploring this world together thanks for coming alongside for the ride let's go The other night, we're hanging out, Stacey. How you doing, by the way? <laughs> you all right? I'm doing all right. Well, we'll explain why maybe you've got some trepidation here in a moment. But uh, the other night, I was just trying to relax a little bit. And, um, and I was, you know, like altered in some, you know, reasonably responsible way. But uh, wasn't really interested in somebody knocking on the door at 930 at night, you know. And I look out the window and there's like some dude on our porch, we've got a gate. Nobody in the history of us living here has been bold enough to just come up to our door. So the only the only people that have really come through that gate are like the postal carrier delivering our mail or some sort of package, you UPS. know. Yeah, those all or, of which the dog doesn't like. Or Uber if we yeah. uh, like eats or something. I mean like a, you know, if and like maybe. Yeah, like, I usually meet them at the door. Yeah. Yeah. At the gate, we rather. usually go to the yeah. gate. So, so all that to say, uh, we got these ring cameras for security, you know, after the, the truck got stolen, it's a spicy, it's a spicy neighborhood in some ways, good neighborhood. Well, the other thing too, truth be told is that like 
there's times when I think I hear noises. And so I was constantly getting up and just checking on the scene outside. And so you're like, wait a minute, we got to stop this. So if there's an app or something that we could just look to see what's going on outside from our phone, if we ever needed to look, yes, then we don't, I don't have to constantly get out of bed and disrupt your sleep or anything. I can just side note the surveillance state. I now know exactly when everyone in the family comes and goes on my watch while I'm working. I get this little boop. (laughs) <laughs> my little my little wrist goes off and say, oh, the kids got home, you know. But it's interesting. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Stacy left for work or whatever, you know, so I can kind of see these things. But, you know, a little weird. Anyway, this is <laughs> when it was helpful. Somebody's knocking on the door. The dog's not freaking out, which is rare. Yes. If anybody comes through that gate, especially, or even gets close to the gate, she's usually I think that's the crazy. only reason I was cool with it. And, uh, and yet, I, I didn't understand what was going on. And I wasn't in my perfect wits about me. And I look on my phone to see what's out there. And I see with the night cam, which is always ominous, there's a dude holding what looks like a nice shiny sword or machete. <laughs> and he's, you know, like, uh, looks kind of like, I don't know, like a character <laughs> but he's cool like i would right. like in a normal life i'd be fine but it's like the fact that it's at night my mind's going crazy places i think okay this weird it was just weird anybody holding something coming up to a our shiny door? silver yeah. thing this ain't no good so uh what did i do i just i was wearing shorts so i just strapped on my uh my handgun on it that is in a uh, zip, uh not a ziplock <laughs> a fanny <laughs> sure. pack i've got this fanny pack uh, uh carrier that you know i've got in the safe so i put that on to walk outside just in case and i think normally in 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 life i wouldn't do that i wouldn't go outside but it turned out you know the dog was cool uh, it turned out just to be our new neighbor uh who had spent a lot of time on fishing vessels and and in fact had his orange you know kind of uh, deadliest catch look uh, uh, hanging up out on the porch, on his porch. But in this case, he did not bring a machete, Stacy. He brought a salmon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Completely different. Yeah. But I mean, we've, you know, it's, it's not the kind of neighborhood where I necessarily want to have somebody on my porch at 10. Because, you know, you're, you're reading next door and we basically hear about uh, all the problems yes. all the time in yes. the city of Portland. And there are some people that just kind of <laughs> like wander up to people's front porches yeah. and... They won't even leave when they tell them to leave and stuff. You, yeah, so you there's know. always a problem somewhere in town. We didn't want to be the next problem. Turned out it wasn't a problem. Good kid. And what do we talk about? So instead of having, uh, you know, a, a horrific situation, I had a wonderful conversation on the porch with this gentleman. Young man, got off the boat, moving back into town, wants to go study psychology at the university. And I ask him, you know, like I always ask when people want to get into psychology, what do you want to do? inner healing, healing of other people, that sort of thing. And then I always have to break the news to them that it's a weird kind of profession. Mm. It's a good, mm-hmm. noble profession. But you've got kind of like the gig economy. You know, you got a bunch of people that have these advanced degrees in psychology working as basically psychiatric Uber drivers. <laughs> and I say psychiatric, they're not doing the psychiatry. They're counselors. They're great people doing great work. Go get it when you need it. But the problem is... As a career, these people aren't getting paid tons of money. I don't know how they're going to pay back their student loans working at the BetterHelp or whatever. I don't know. Maybe there's a pay structure I don't understand. And sometimes it's a great way to go. It's well, and I think I think that part of the, that's part of the reason why, like even when I was seeking out um, some mental health help, uh, dealing with you know my grief and everything, that you know we had Kaiser insurance and like it took forever 
um, to be able to get somebody. And, I, and, and they mentioned how there's a lot of need for mental health yeah, services. And I think there is, but I also think it's understaffed because there's a lot of people that aren't willing to take the pay that they're offering. Right. That's part of it. And so then like they want to say, oh, we offer all these benefits, but then will anybody actually be the provider of right. those benefits? Cause well, like and, and, practitioner, and, like do they, do they really, you know, what do they get out of it if it's not enough? And so maybe it's something you take for a while or whatever until you mm-hmm. like, I don't know, build your own practice or something and go on your own. But I don't think it's like people don't set out to be like a lifelong counselor within say an insurance company that's not going to pay them very well. Right. And so what we're looking for often is at least for our, at least for our situations uh, is, is like somebody who's like a deep healer, like somebody who's got some deep yeah. wisdom that blows our minds. And that's not to say anything no, negative, but right. like I've hired these individuals mm-hmm. to be adjuncts and I'm not always sure to be mm-hmm. frank. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about just people with master's degrees in, in counseling. Yeah. I've hired these people and I'm not sure I would like let them run the point of sale <laughs> no, this is that we are never going to get so, a better help sponsorship on this yeah, show. Now. No, no, no. But, uh, yeah. It's not about that. No, and I, I do think that there are some great people in the profession and, and, and can do a, an awesome job. I do think that um, it's not their fault. Right. They're good people. Um, and I, and I do think that I've had um, a couple different experiences. One that I felt was a helpful therapy um, experience. The other one, not so much. I mean, it was kind of like one of those, I, I don't know if it was just like an intern or somebody that I was dealing with, but, and it could have just been the person, um, just themselves didn't know, but it literally became one of those, you know, like, oh, so what do you want to talk about? And then I would share something. They would say something kind of validating and mm-hmm. then kind of be quiet and let me talk again. There's a lot of people who need that. And, and I, maybe we need it more than we realize. I get it. I, but that's not what I needed at the time. Right. That's not what I was there for because... I can talk to people. I have an outlet for sharing. I have outlets for sharing like what's going on in my head and things. What right. I what I needed help with is what do I do about this, right? Like yes. what tools can I be given to help me get through some of my PTSD and mm-hmm. some of these things. And like I said, I found somebody that was helpful with some of those suggestions and things like that too. So and we've got some good leads, that, but the, the, the main thing I, I want to bring this up about with the kid who was on the porch is... He said, don't worry, I'm not worried, I'm not interested in that, I'm interested in Jungian psychology. And I said, oh, well, that's even like the worst case for you, because in many ways, Jung is really, really interesting to people that are interested in literature, and the history of religions, and myth, and art, and literature, and painting, and you know, painting's a type of art, of course. <laughs> but in the field of, of professional psychology, Jung is controversial. First of all, Jung is kind of the the next guy after Freud. Freud's the main, you know, keynote here. You know, Freud's like the Plato of the thing. And Jung, maybe the Aristotle, I don't know. But basically, Jung has some ideas, just like Freud's, that are not verifiable through empirical mm-hmm. study the same way that you would, you would want uh, in the hard sciences. So the field of psychology shifted more towards a data-driven approach, um, verifiable scientific kind of stuff. Likert scales, understanding personality traits. A lot of these things come from Jung. Like Jung is interesting. Uh, Carl Gustav Jung, the, the psychoanalyst, he is somebody who kind of brings in um, the importance of myth and religion in a way that Freud thought it was kind of primarily problematic. Mm. Religion is wish fulfillment. Religion is a way of coping with the world in a, a maybe an unhealthy way, maybe a, a way that 
helped our ancestors. But for Jung, we actually deeply need this. It helps us to integrate. It helps us to confront aspects of ourself that we don't get in the modern technological world. Mm -hmm. That is, ancient people had these tools that we think are archaic, myths, folklore, Shamanistic yeah, experiences, stories, right? That's where you hear talks about uh, spirits Think of and, the and Greek gods and journeys to the underworld, right? journey to the you know, and that when we in a scientific world want to block that out, we understand because the world has been so filled with snake oil salesmen and women and uh, and woo woo and and a bunch of nonsense. But nonetheless, I think it's important for us. What we're interested in with Carl Gustav Jung is not so much in terms of clinical or practitioner-like level psychology so much as what we needed, okay, what I wish I had time for with a therapist. If a therapist would sit and work through the Jungian stuff with me, and I, and I, mean, I know these people exist and I'll track them down, but the idea is um, we have found value in looking at s these themes like Jung's shadow self, mm -hmm. confronting our shadow selves. We've talked about this on the show. Really important. Whether or not you're dealing with this at some other kind of clinical level, at a very immediate personal level, I can attest it's been, it's been one of the only helpful ways of dealing with things because, and this is the key, and this is how it comes into tarot cards and oracle cards. That is, it bypasses the part of our, our kind of brain, our analytical brain maybe, uh, that is holding us back from understanding something that's very obvious to us. There's something that we know, but we can't confront. That's our insanity. What was the line that we are so proud of from the Tao Te Ching? Something yeah, like, well, I'm going to mess it up, but the idea that... Um, so knowing what you don't know is like is healthy or something like that, right? Yeah. Knowing when you don't know something, that's, that's, that's helpful. That's yeah. very healthy. Knowing something, but pretending you don't know it or ignoring that you know, know it is the height of unhealthy thinking. Yeah, or insanity. And a lot of people just couldn't understand where they were coming from. And maybe we're wrong. It's, it's ambiguous in the, in the original Chinese. But I think we're, we're on pretty strong ground to I say. I will say that anytime, that's when like with, with anything, with your conscience or whatever, when you know something and you're suppressing that truth on some level... Right. Um, you know, it allows it allows us as a society to justify, um, you know, being sometimes inhumane to other people or animals and things like that. We can justify all sorts of things in our mind. Right. Um, and the and the archetypes are dealing with these these themes. We'll get to what they are. I mean, well, maybe I should maybe should step back and say what they are. But but to kind of preview it, um, what it allows us to do dealing with non literal things representation, symbolic things allows us to see them in a way that is kind of like psychedelics. It throws you off. It distorts your reality enough for you to see it from a different angle. And then you get an insight mm -hmm. like, Oh, my brain was going through this problem in the same loop. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like in a dream state or I'm sleep deprived or I've taken some hallucinogen or I've been dancing a whirling dervish or I've been meditating for th whatever it is that you get into that altered state to allow you to see things in a different way. Um, one of the ways you can do that is through tarot cards and through oracle cards. These, these visual images that are unsettling, artistic, profound, esoteric, you don't know what the meaning is and it's troubling. 
and frightening in some ways, kind of like in the gospel of Thomas, where Jesus says, you know, like, if you want to know the kingdom, first, you're going to be troubled Mm -hmm. and then you're going to be infinitely free. (laughs) But going through that process is what, is what these cards do. It's the Mm non-literal and may I just say what they are. So, so Jung Again, basically, he talks about these things called the uh, archetypes of the collective unconscious. And uh, this is really important. It's like myths helped people to cope with good and evil, power, money, wealth, death, all these things. We see it all throughout literature. Enkidu and Gilgamesh, this, this Mesopotamian king facing the death of his friend, facing his own mortality and the meaning of life. By doing it as these characters are fighting dragons mm-hmm. is helpful because it bypasses, no, Cindy isn't really a bitch, <laughs> right? Like what I mean is you're in this conversation and you think what it is, is you've got this problem, this other person mm-hmm. and you can't get over the fact that you think that Cindy is a bad person. Not you personally, but like this is, a, mm-hmm. you know, my, I might, or anybody. And what you really are facing is something so much more deep in terms of your own childhood or your, or your right. inner struggles, your lack of self assurance. Well, and what if, you know, what if there's something about Cindy's communication style that's bringing you back to family trauma or something? Who knows, right? Now, these archetypes of the collective unconscious, the reason they're controversial is because there was this period in religious and, and social scientific studies that tended to universalize things. So, uh, Mercia Eliada, the, the historian of religion, or the uh, anthropologist of religion, would start to find these themes that he sees in different cultures. And he would say, ah, this is shamanism. And and there's a universal kind of shamanism in Siberia, Mesoamerica, and Celtic, you know, Britain. And I actually think that there's probably more to that. I think people that experience it recognize that, mystics recognize that, but scholars rightly say that's totalizing. You can't just, you can't just like lump all indigenous people's spirituality into the same kind of category. But the thing is, I can kind of see a very strong resonance between all the mystical traditions around the world. And I can see a very strong resonance between a lot of the, all the animistic, uh, archaic religions of the world or hunter-gatherer religions, myth, folklore, legend. There's so many similarities. Now, there are ways in which these myths compete, and that's actually important too. Mm -hmm. There's a very different... Um, uh, vibe, for instance, between Homer's Iliad and Odyssey uh, and the values of family and individuality there uh, versus uh, the Aeneid, Virgil's Aeneid, where you're kind of dutiful to the state. So these competing myths, but those myths, if I, if I may say like Virgil, for instance, they they, they derive from the collective unconscious, but true folklore, myth, legend, no one is the author. And this is the key. These things are profound. Uh, Jung says there are these, these images, these archetypes, these patterns, maybe characters, you know, um, th- that show up in our dreams and they show up in myths around the world. And why they're important is because they bubble to the surface and we all touch the story. And by the time we all touch the story, the story creates itself out of that's why it is the collective unconscious. It's not one author. Right. It's, we don't even really profoundly understand why we care about elves and dwarfs Mm -hmm. and ogres and dragons and witches and old wise wizard type dudes. Right. Right. So these things are things that surpass sort of like 
any limited understanding. In other words, it's bigger. It's like it, there's um, a universalness to some of these things, right? Like if it's an archetype, correct? These yes. images. Yeah. It is like part of the whole collective story. It's it's universal. It it goes it it surpasses like time, space, race, culture, like. Yeah, and for Jung, it's kind of like this uh, actually evolutionary thing. So, like, we evolved to deal with the problems, and we're kind of coded to understand the world with these kind of templates. And as you as you encounter these forces or people in your life, you go, oh, there's, okay, there's, like, the hero, there's the witch, there, you know, and you kind of identify what the different characters are. Now, I don't really care about getting too deep into the 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 discussion about whether this is viable as a as a theoretical construct for healing or or something in a clinical setting i do want to say why we're bringing this to you dear listener is because if you came out of a traumatic or even just somewhat problematic religious background there are ways in which you will have a lot of resources that are from atheists and skeptics and scientific people, and they're all very right about so many things. Like, thank you very much for cleaning up my brain uh, from all the, the weird woo-woo. However, uh, to be able to inter- integrate these other parts of ourselves, we sometimes then starve ourselves. People leave, they go to church, and then they go into a world that's all science, but they still need the symbolic landscape that religion provided. Mm-hmm. And... Going back to something Augie said, our son Augie said a long you know, time ago, we had put a show on it, that we need as a society to reconstruct myths. We are doomed. It feels like we're in this very precarious situation, Augie thought, because we don't have myths that are holding up anymore. Mm-hmm. But we need myths, even myths to deconstruct. But like the, the, even though it feels like it's dominant, the modern Western Christian uh, mythos is crumbling and it's just like it's not holding up in the way that it was it was constructed before. And we have these people that are deconstructing their faith. But in many ways, we're saying in a certain sense, yeah, deconstruct your faith because it's really helpful for you to see all the ways in which it's screwed with your life. But um, maybe you just for a while just ghost it. Like you don't have to like argue with it. It's kind of like being in a bad relationship mm-hmm. where you've got to try to convince an abusive spouse that they're being abusive. No, you just ghost it and then you can talk about it later. Well, and, I, <laughs> and I think that um, it's really only in any situation that when you get yourself outside of it, can then you like breathe and realize the full weight of what it, what that was, you know, um, if it's the unhealthiness of a relationship, unhealthiness of a job situation, any of this stuff, right? Like right. It, church can be the, you know, the same thing. But my point is, is you don't even fully feel that or understand it really until you step outside of it for a little while. Yeah. And if, if that, if, if you step outside of it and you realize like that wasn't the case, then you could go back to the job or the relationship or whatever, you know, but um, you need that perspective, I think to, even determine, you know, how healthy or unhealthy something is. And you might think, oh, I'm fine until you get outside. <laughs> now, let's just look at how this would work in the very basic way. Maybe you listener, you, you're, you're, you're skeptical. Let me show you a couple of the actual uh, Jungian archetypes that he thought were important. And uh, four of them he thought were important. And these archetypes help to uh, kind of uh, frame our conversation about ourselves and our relationships. And even if 
if nothing else, it just gives you a tool. It gives you a language. This is why we've talked about gods and goddesses in our family, not as necessarily real entities, like Molech being this system of oppression Mm -hmm. that is kind of personal, but it's not really personal. But if we think of it as personal, it's helpful for us. It's a shorthand. So uh, the, the Jungian archetypes that, that Jung thought were important, the self, the persona, the shadow, and the uh, anima or animus. The self is this, like, this is the you behind it all. And in for our Tao Te Ching translations, this is what we're trying to say. We want to allow that to emerge. The true self. Yeah. Um, it, it is your authenticity. It is your self-actualization. Um, it's, it's, it's who you really are. And then we sabotage that sometimes, mm. or we hide it from people for a variety of reasons, sometimes good reasons, right? Like Jesus, he says, don't tell anybody that I, you know, that I'm special. Well, <laughs> and know, sometimes to get by in society. Yeah, you have to. Yes. And I think that's really important. You don't have to show all your cards all the time. I think that's really, really important to say that sometimes we have to do that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and for those of you who are like kind of with us, I mean, we were t- reflecting on this the other day. Like, how is it that so many people are listening to us, but no one's really talking about us? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's t- people talking about us, but it's not like super safe to <laughs> be like big Jeff and Stacey fans. <laughs> not, and what would you right do? Now. And if you're a big Jeff and Stacey fan, like, what <laughs> does it publicly. even mean? Because if we, we might let you down in two weeks and, and think something that you don't like then, you know, so like you just wait and see. Right. But anyway, so, um, uh, the self is the self, right. And then there's the shadow self. This is the, um, um, this other side, uh, kind of like id's, uh, the id of Sigmund Freud, um, our animalistic maybe personality. It's creative. It's destructive. It's it's, but it's it's us too, mm-hmm. and we tend to not see it. It's like just behind our heads. It's, so it's always behind us, like our shadow, and it's 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 influential on so much of our lives. But we don't confront it by not confronting it. We allow disrupt it, ourselves and others. Right, allow it to run amok, if you will. I will say that um, with a lot of these things, like even like with the cards and stuff like that, they talk about like a light and a dark. Side. So f- to all of it, right? everything, um, if you will, like a light and a dark, meaning like sometimes, you know, you get a card and sometimes we're like, oh, yay, this is exciting. Right. right? Like it's a win and card then, or a lose card. Yeah, it's not like, like that. If all of a sudden you see the hanged man or the death, death card, and you're devil, like, what? And like, tower, yeah. You know, but it is interesting because it's also um, when something triggers either some sort of emotion or something in you that's something to like okay look at this a little harder right one example i will say and i know it's a little off track but um often what happens like when we talked about the enneagrams before mm-hmm. that for most of the when you're like figuring out what your enneagram type is for the most part people very much are like kind of the one that they don't like <laughs> or, or have the hardest time with Unless or something. Seven. Unless you're a seven. That is mm. the exception. Cause mm. sevens are the only ones that are proud to be, what to they be are. what they are. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like they, they even said like in a, in a whole big group setting and they get the sevens to get, you know, like they have everybody like break off into their, you know, their different categories and sevens are the only one like, Hey, yeah, high five. You know, like mm. they're all excited to be together yeah. and the rest are kind of like sheepishly like, okay, <laughs> I guess we're the ones that we're worried about this or that. Anyway, my point is, that we do often run from the truth of things sometimes. And right. and when something is hard or it sparks some sort of emotional something, there's some work 
to do there because it doesn't have to have the emotion. It you, it can not ring true, or it can. Well, you can overcome it. You can overcome that evolutionary predisposition to whatever it is. Right, but what I'm but what I'm saying is is that there's work to be done when something emotionally kind of tugs bugs at you, you. Yep. bugs you. And one of those things then is another uh, another uh, archetype is the anima or animus. This is the uh, the mirror image of our. Uh, gender, or I guess, you know, in his language would have been sex, but it's the biological part, but it's more, um, in a woman, there is a masculine element that's within you as well. Mm -hmm. So you've got yourself and then your shadow self, you've got yourself and then your animus Mm. as a woman, anima as a man, that is your feminine side that you definitely suppress. So just like you suppress, like say your shadow self, um, being... I don't know, whatever it is that you don't like about, we've talked about this in the past, right? Like what are those things that you don't like about yourself that you've got to face that mm-hmm. are just kind of your personality traits? The, the, uh, the same thing is true. Do you honor or do you despise the feminine in you if you're a dude and vice versa? Right. right? And whatever else it is. I think it's very interesting that he was hitting on that a long, long time ago and how important that is. And then finally, um, the persona the persona is the, is the, I would even say it's more like the ego, but it's the way we use ego in our translation of the Tao Te Ching. That is, it's the false self. But it's not necessarily a bad thing that we're doing, but this is the public face. This it's, is how we present ourselves. It's in the sort world. of the clothes you put on That's to right. get and the, you have to. maybe get the job that you want or. The persona is the character in the play that you're playing, right? Mm-hmm. What is, what is this role, right? So like sometimes I'm a lore master, uh, you know, like that, maybe that's what I do, you know, but like sometimes, you know. I'm supposed to be a sage. Sometimes I'm a sushi uh, server, you know, like, but like these different, but, the, but who am I? What am I presenting uh, myself as? All right. There are others as well, but basically those are key because really Jungian psychology is about helping uh, understand the self and then actualize yourself, which is something that Western religion tries to not let you do. Mm, mm-hmm. This to me is the most important thing. So Jung is not against religious imagery, but you know, Jung was this kid. He went to the Lutheran school or he went to the catechism, a confirmation class. And his, he was, he was an interesting kid, you know, in, in, intellectual kid asks the pastor about the Trinity dudes pissed off that he's asked, being asked questions. Just take notes, Lutheran kid. Mm-hmm. And he realized that there were these important themes, just like I did when I was a kid that you didn't want to let go of as tools for exploring and navigating the world. Mm-hmm. That world of play, fantasy, mystery, Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, if you want, right? All that world, really important stuff that the modern world, <clears throat> secular and Christian, kind of uh, kept away from us for a while. And ultimately, and I'm, not from us, but I'm saying from like Western Christians because it was so associated with paganism. So when, when Christianity comes on the scene in, in Rome after Constantine, they go about expunging paganism in, in many cases from popular religion, popular folk practices, just, you know, everything. And it was interesting for evangelicals in the 20th century to have the inklings, the, uh, the Christian writers... Mm-hmm. Tolkien, uh, you know, the, the, the various guys, but Tolkien, Lewis, and Dorothy Sayers, for instance, right. key players, they very well understood and were interested in Jung 
and the way that this would work. And they used it to help do what C.S. Lewis uh, described as getting past watchful dragons. What he meant was, in his case, for Christianity, but I think it's an important one, you can't get people to understand Christianity when they're being blocked by the scientific world. That's why C.S. Lewis was not an inerrantist like fundamentalist Christians, even though the fundamentalist Christians think they like him. Mm -hmm. But basically, he's saying, by going into the world of Narnia, you can explore spiritual themes, but you're not doing it in a way that you can't do, which is, if you were abused... Mm -hmm by a religious setting, you're never going to entertain the mythos of the Christ narrative mm-hmm. because it's so tied up with abusive priests. Yeah. So you block it out or you're a scientist and religious people have stopped you from doing your scientific work. So you just don't want to deal with that by going into the realm of dreams and, and movies. And well, film, and yeah, you know, and think about like what literature in general, right? Uh-huh. So even like, um, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, of course, is, is you know, key. Yep. Um, anyway, look at, yeah, like he's mentioned C.S. Lewis, all these things. So you take it out. If you put it into in a fictional world, then you can almost say anything, right? Yes. And this is where Jung and Freud would be in agreement, but Jung is really important on this. And that is that you need to have your kids reading fairy tales, not Dick and Jane readers. See Dick run, see mm-hmm. the ball bounce. Like that's all fine. What motivates kids to read is that they're reading something that's got deep meaning. Right. And what are they doing? They're confronting their fears. They're confronting the reality of death. A lot of the little children's uh, fairy tales that, that got kicked out of my reading and that people kick out of like kind of Western children's literature are some of the most important stuff about death, you know, Hansel and Gretel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. it maybe seems sad that like somebody abandoned their kids in the forest, but like that's kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And so kids need to be able to confront these things in mythic ways so that they're able to deal with them and start to practice recognizing what is it to be a hero? What is virtue? What is it to be vicious? What is it to be true to yourself? What is it to be a hero and, and courageous? All of these things we can process through non cognitive, I mean, non propositional, mm-hmm. cognitive propositional statements, non doctrinal, mm-hmm. not scientific intuitive, symbolic. Anyway, that's what we're at, baby. Right. And so I think, unfortunately, in our society, there's so many people, mental health is a huge issue and people do need mental health help. But then I need to, then I would say we need to look at what is going on in society that so many people are having this struggle. If it's a healthy, if it's a healthy system, then you wouldn't need you wouldn't be having all of these issues. Right. Now, and so here's the key. So with the Jungian archetypes and the tarot cards, what we're getting to is the goal is a slightly different goal. In other words, I'm not just trying to cope with the society that has crushed me. I mean, I think this is where I have a, this is where I have a concern about the medication solution. It seems very capitalist. Yes. Here's a capitalist s- solution to a problem created by capitalism. Right. An, I guarantee an existential problem yeah. created by capitalism. When I'm working alongside folks in a village in Guatemala to put in wells, mm-hmm. I don't have a moment of anxiety. I mean, I'm in precarious situations. There's some bandits or whatever, but like, I don't have anxiety. When I live in modern technological Western society, I'm constantly bombarded by this feeling of unease. And also the hopelessness of you get a you get a college degree and then you got to pay it down as an indentured servant for the rest of your life 
etc. Mm-hmm. And then you're sad about that. Of course, you're sad about that. Right. You 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 go to church for 25 years trying to find peace and healing, and you don't find peace and healing, and you don't have any other way other than to abandon your family and friends religiously. So you can't actually go into the spiritual quest that you need to go into. So you medicate. Doesn't matter whether it's plant medicines that are healthy like uh, cannabis or uh, very useful clinically prescribed things or whatever, but ultimately we've got to get to the root. And I would, yes, and I would say that a capitalist society finds ways to keep people functioning within the, yes. the, the system, yes. but with capitalist solutions. So you, that means you have repeat customers. Coffee, beer, Re- nicotine, customers, Prozac. Whatever you, there we keep, go. Keep Maybe coming not all back. on the same day, friends. Keep coming back to this. Keep coming back because then you'll buy that. You'll spend your yeah. money on this sort of therapy. or the, And I, again, I am not down on getting help and, yeah. and, and therapy and everything. What I am saying is I am down on repeat customers yeah. as a method as, as, as a yeah. as a way as an expectation yeah yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. we do it with church yeah 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 church is something you get locked into forever and then you get into therapy now i do therapy no you should do therapy all the time but like not all the time like i mean right. if you need it all the time but i'm saying like that shouldn't be what society expects there are it's kind of like i mean this is what i love about spiritual practitioners outside of western religions organized religion institutionalized religion I go to a shaman when I need a shaman. Mm-hmm. When I'm getting married, I get a priest. That's great. Like there's like a, there is an archetype. There's a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. There is like a like a there's that person in in every village that can do those things. We need parsons. We need pastors. Like so, if you're listening to this, we say ghost church. We're not saying get rid of pastors. No. We're saying get rid of church. As we said. Check out our friend church Casey Tinnage. Church Casey as Tinnage's we podcast. know it as this concept of, you know, especially like, you know, there's this thought, even as children, if you were taken to church as a child, right? Yeah. You think it's something that you need to do so that you go and like, it's just, it's part of like that you're a good person, that you've done all the right boxes. It's not. I guess I'll say, I know I'm having a hard time forming my whole thoughts here, but it's not a mistake that people all of a sudden go back to church when they have babies because they need to also make sure that whatever it was, they, the medicine or whatever, that they didn't like fall back away or fall out of favor with God or whatever, and that their right. children can be in favor with God. But that it's as if going to church is going to solve that or be the indicator of whether or not... Um, God is happy with you or that you're doing the right things according to God. And I, I think we need to rethink that, right? Like there are times when you need to make confessions to somebody. Right, right, right. There's like, there's that role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, the fact that if anybody's telling you, you have to come here every Sunday to make this confession, maybe not, you know, definitely not. Yeah, definitely (laughs) not. So, so. We have gone a, a long time without actually really digging into the, the tarot cards, but that's all right because this is the, the setup because it's all about why would we get into this. So I want to step back and say, all right, we believe that tarot cards and oracle cards might be very helpful for you if you're coming out of a religiously traumatic background and you still want to be able to engage that world, okay? Why did you not want to do the show today? Well, I I think that it goes 
back to um, just overcoming my own um, upbringing within the church saying that sort of this stuff maybe like it almost like I was told that it would flirt with the dark side. Oh, definitely. That it would be, um, yeah. That it's like it, a Ouija board. Yeah, but it's not yes. a Ouija board. But that's what you heard. I would not go near a Ouija but board. But why were you afraid to talk about it now? I don't, I, I personally like, it's something that I've enjoyed for myself, but I also, I like wondered like, hmm, like how will this be perceived? And I guess I cared a little bit too much of like that upbringing that told me that there was something naughty about it. And I know that there's not, so I need to let go of that. And, but it made it harder for me to like confront it publicly, I guess that, that I, weird. Yeah. Cause it goes back. I mean, I, we didn't even, until we were reflecting on it, we didn't realize how much the kind of little limited moments where we're using tarot to help with our relationship or a question about what we should do in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't realize how uh, important it was in our history until I was reflecting on a few things. Like for instance, um, my first tattoo was a star. Mm-hmm. And this is because it was this moment when um, I was feeling really, really depressed, just really bleak. It was the darkest moment of, it was like the darkest moment right before I had my mystical experience of everything's going to be okay. I've talked about this on other podcasts and on other times, but uh, it was anti-wisdom. It was Job. It was Ecclesiastes. It was despair over everything that I had come to depend on mm. uh, the world that I was in religiously. And this was, you know, 2015, 2016. And um, I read this card. Would you read the, um, what, 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 what you read to me? And I just wept and then I got a tattoo of it. <laughs> and in many ways, by the way, friends, if I've told the story in different ways, cause it is intertwined with the goddess Guanine in some ways, image wise, but basically the outside of my arm is a star and on the inside is a naked woman that is uh, based on the star card. If you Google it, you, you can well, find I'll, it. I'll read a yeah. little in, introduction. Yeah. This talks about the art of the card as well. So a nude woman stands with one foot in a stream. She has two pitchers, uh, which she prepares to pour on the land and water. The mermaids swim by in the stream and there are three small dogs on the bank beside her as well as one stork, seven small stars and one and one large one shine overhead. The landscape is a gentle rural scene with a water wheel further down the stream. So this is one particular right. artistic version of this card. But almost always you have a woman who's naked and not ashamed, going back to a previous episode recently. <laughs> in land and in water uh-huh. with two pitchers pouring And out. she's got this like life-giving grace that just pours un- unendingly to the world. Like mm-hmm. love just never ceases. It's just flowing out. And uh, this card, it was actually, I got the tattoo and then we went to China and then I saw the goddess Guanyin in the same archetype. This is where I'm going with the archetypes, right? Mm-hmm. The star card, I confuse it in my memory. Was it the image that I saw of, of the goddess of compassion in China? Or was it the star card that I read when I was at my moment of despair? No, it was actually the star card, but I confused them because of course you're going to confuse them according to Carl Gustav Jung. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? So uh, anyway, so what does it say? What was the meaning? So the meaning is 
Your goal can be reached if you set your path and keep to it. Fulfillment of hopes and dreams, success and critical acclaim of creative achievements, joy, health, and happiness. So hope, joy, health, happiness, being able to achieve my creative agenda. Yeah. Now. I just broke down. I'm like, that's not true at all. There is no way. When I read that, there is no way that I'm on the path to that. Because I will never be able to be free and creative if I'm in this stuck spot. And so the reversed version, because sometimes if it's upside down or whatever, that can happen. Or you can just, it's it's the flip side of the card. But the reversed version says, a wonderful opportunity may be missed through negativity and a pessimistic outlook. Yes. So if I stay in in that space and I'm just stuck... And I'm just sad. I'm just drinking with my friends and, and not really moving on. Yeah, that's not any good. So I decided, no, I'm going to wake up. And I got the tattoo so that every day I would look in the mirror. And when I get up, you know, took a shower, got out and shaved or what I was doing, look at, look at that and remind myself that I did see hope at that one time. And not only that, then I had my mystical experience shortly after reading the card. So they were connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any case, that was so profound that I put it on my arm. That was my first tattoo. Interesting thing. The only thing worse than tattoos for my, my dad, probably tarot cards. <laughs> and I, I uh, appreciate this. And I appreciate this. And I, and I want to like step back and say for the same reason I understand that a lot of baby boomers who got like kind of scarred by yoga through the Rajneeshis or some whack job, you know, um, I understand why people will be turned off to tarot, especially older generations. Because first of all, this, you know, association with... Alistair Crowley, who's, you know, interesting enough, but like there is, there was this movement that sometimes was a kind of hedonistic kind of vibe, which Mm -hmm. is totally fine if that's your role, you know what I'm saying? Like the actual, like the Satanists and so forth, which is more of like a political like movement in in many ways, Um, or like a, a social movement that's not really about worshiping the deity Satan, but um, you can, that's another conversation for another time, but the Aleister Crowley, the occultist, yeah, little sketch. Mm. And, uh, and sometimes it's associated with like the voodoo type scene, right? So when we were down in, in New Orleans, we were at a voodoo shop and they, we got a Bosch, a Hieronymus Bosch, um, a tarot, not recommended. It's a piece of garbage. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's just a knockoff. It's garbage. But and this takes us to the real question because, you know, my dad, I think you would admit that he's, you know, given to some superstition. He's of, of, of the family members in my life, the, the more likely to not want to walk under a, you know, a ladder, or, you know, right. do those kinds of things that are, but, um, but I, in, I think that, um, so it's, it's, it really is the difference of like how you're viewing the cards. Cause I think, um, so some people are, you know, looking at it and saying, is it going to predict the future? And if so, is that, you know, is that flirting with some sort of dark art knowledge of getting, you know, a vision of the future when you, you know, is this fortune telling? And here's the other question is, um, if you see something, is that then for sure the path like is it yeah. like is there no other way yes is it forward fate? do you yeah is it fate and will you will you just accept that and this whatever is it says. as spiritual anarchists what we want to say right off the bat is no we are not interested in tarot and divination cards as or fortune. oracle cards as fortune telling not at all not at all and um 
And uh, that's not really helpful, like, as a, even a concept, like, knowing the future. Like, I know it's, like, a temptation for folks, but, like, you can't really know it. The world is contingent. There are ways in which there are these inevitable patterns that are kind of interesting to behold. Like, mm-hmm. we, act, we act in very predictable ways in some sense. Mm-hmm. But also, it's important for us to recognize we are free beings. And it's, in fact, power domination system that wants us to believe things are inevitable. Yeah. It is the liberatory, emancipatory view that says another world is possible. Right. Yeah, this is the beast, but we can have an alternative kingdom, says the Jesus movement. Right. So I will say that the way that I view these cards is kind of the same way as if I'm having a difficult time making a decision, I can flip a coin yep. and say heads is one thing, tails is the other, and then whichever one it lands on, what I find is that my heart will reveal the real answer of what I wanted. I'm either happy that mm-hmm. I got the one mm-hmm. that, or I'm upset that I got the other one. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to make this other decision because it, right. it was unsettling. You weren't, right. you know, it's not like it's, it just helps you to know like what your heart actually wants and where, where your disappointment lies or right. where, you know, your excitement is. So if nothing else, if you use the tarot, tarot deck to, to kind of play with your mind the same way you could use a coin or a magic eight ball or something, you're not calling upon Azazel or some you know, other spirit to come speak to you. Um, it's not magic in that way. And what's interesting, so I won't tell my dad's story, but like, you know, my dad growing up in the world of the wacky hippie scene in the 60s and early 70s, there were people that would treat it like this, like, oh, there's, you know, and say, you should do this, or this is the way things should go. And so like, you know, like you're, you're, let's say you're floating through life and all of a sudden you get the devil card or a death card or something, and you don't understand what these are about. You're just like, oh no, I'm doomed. That's not very helpful. Mm-hmm. Like that's not helpful at all. Right. But that's not the game. And here's the key for me. I never was able to look into it until a very fundamentalist conservative, uh, dude, John Warwick Montgomery, who we talked about recently, um, wrote a book called Principalities and Powers. And in that, he explored some of these different things and actually said that he thinks there's value in the tarot cards. Mm-hmm. And I was just floored. <laughs> like, this guy doesn't even believe that, like, you can do basic <laughs> criticism of, like, the Bible of, of like, source, sources on the Magnificat, whether Mary sang the Magnificat historically. But all of a sudden, he's telling me that there's a value... <laughs> And this other thing, the reason is because he was smart enough to have read some things. And he knew, of course, it's true. And it also helps if C.S. Lewis said it, you know. Mm-hmm. So if, mm-hmm. if you can go in that route, you know, the T.S. Eliot, you know, or whatever. Like, this is, it was a popular thing, you know, in that era anyway. And, and sometimes probably taken too seriously. But it's more than entertainment. It's definitely not necromancy. You're right. not calling upon the dead. You're not, call, it's not like, like. But a, you're, so your star card made you look at say this is a this is beautiful i want this but i don't have it but i don't have it yeah so now what do i do with that and do i do i just accept my fate that i yeah. don't have this or do i start to find this path of this journey yep. to what this is now if the journey to what this is is the ghosting of church and you believe that that's like going me going to hell then yes you should not do tarot cards <laughs> like that's the the problem of tarot cards is it will liberate you if you're ready to be liberated, yeah. you see, because when I saw that, I didn't realize it until now, but like the, the, the star card was reminding me that I had this journey to escape whatever, what, what it was 
that I was in, the quagmire, the religious, cultural, intellectual quagmire I was in that was keeping me from feeling those things that I saw. And I knew as long as I stayed in conservative church world as a professor, I would always be incomplete. Hmm. I would always be suffocating. And I would not be able to realize my true self. And I realized that actually nobody really wanted me to recognize my true self. They didn't really want that. No. They want my persona. Yeah. Go do this, do this stuff. We would love for you to speak in front of all these kids, but you got to do, do this persona. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, you know what right, I'm saying? Right, They want to see. My yeah. persona was the crazy, like, hippie guy. But as long as Jeff's cool, then maybe I can be part of a square uh, church body, too. <laughs> Well, well I mean, I'm not saying that, that everybody's a square in there. I'm saying I, I, I feel like that was my role. Like Zizek would say, like to get the kids to think that they're free because Mountain looks like he's free. <laughs> right? Yeah. But it wasn't free. That's why I had to get out. Well, as well as the fact that, um, you know, you don't want to be, we don't want to be, um, at a certain point realized by us staying within this system, it offers some sort of, as if it has our stamp of approval or. Yeah legitimacy on our end and and so as much as that then allows other people to either get into that scene or stay yeah. in that scene longer than they was need to. really weighing on our consciences yeah. right yeah and it was like i mean of course like this was this was like a slow i will say like almost like an onion where i'm peeling of course it's yeah. like you know it wasn't like um you know there were things that we were trying to do to help um change from within our church system in some ways. Yeah. And we kind of realized, you know what? That was going nowhere. They don't want to hear. There might have been little... Pro- I, mean, I think there was little progress here and yes. there. But I mean, I think ultimately what helped me is to say, I had this conscious bias. I had this bias that was going to prevent me from seeing the truth. And the, and the bias was, I've got a job. I've got security. I've got a three-year contract. You know, it's like almost like t- retirement, everything I want. Health insurance. Everything. And I had to throw that out. But... The only way I could throw it out is through the tarot card in the sense that I recognized by bypassing those basic questions, like practical questions, Mm -hmm. my life will be a miserable story if I don't get free. That's what the tarot card showed me. And it's fact. It's true. And I will say that, I don't know, what was it? It was, I guess it was near October of last year when you wrote that trick or treat poem. Yeah. Yeah. And there was like basically kind of where we keep going to the same door and, and you keep getting that, you know, the same thing. And like, you keep waking up and it's the same thing over and over. And, then, and if I stay in it, it's the unforgivable sin. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like going through this other door saying like the, you know, basically all things are possible, yeah. but you have to lose everything, everything. to get infinity to get through yeah. there, that door. And we did. And we did. Damn. Yeah. Know. So anyway, but the point is that myth, even the way you're talking about it, that mythical landscape, mm-hmm. that helped us to deal with a very difficult problem of how are we going to make ends meet? We were talking about this, all right, last year in the same town we're in now. How do we get out of here? Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in, in a second. Um, but, uh, but anyway, to, back to my dad though. So like, I totally understand and I actually like honor that concern, right? Like I don't want to be into to this kind of like, dark magic. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you're not calling, again, if you're not calling upon other spirits, what you're doing is you're doing the inner work and you're using these, um, to be able to work on yourself as if you are the movie character. Mm-hmm. Like you're part of this mythic journey. This is the whole point. You're Luke Skywalker, you're Harry Potter, you're what Hermione, whatever you are, you're in this character that's going through. And by looking at yourself as the character, you, you, it's much easier for you to say, well, I don't, 
want that character to go that route. Mm-hmm. We always see it in somebody else. No, dude, don't take that job. <laughs> yeah. You can see it in the movies, but you yourself are going to be very tempted to take that job. That job being Especially if you don't confront your shadow self and realize right. what it is that you actually are after when you're saying yes to this job that may otherwise be soul-sucking, right? What is causing you to go down this route, you know? Now, let me just, uh, let me just hit a couple, uh, like, basic points now about this kind of the origin of the tarot, just, just overview, because this is not our main concern. But basically, the modern playing cards that we have are derived from whatever this was. And they probably also were used as cards. Mm-hmm. So I bet they were used first as a game, uh, and then they took on this other meaning. You know, mm-hmm. people started to use it for this other meaning, as people do, right? Like the Bible was written for a certain purpose, but then people would just flip open the book and point to a page and find their horoscope, basically. It's bibliomancy. Mm. And we used to always say, oh, that's a terrible way to do it. Yeah, it's kind of a terrible way to do it. St. Augustine got converted through it. That's kind of interesting. Um, he picked up and read a book. But the more, more important thing is that the randomness is the fun, Mm-hmm. because it throws you off. It's almost like, friends, if you're still in a church that uses the lectionary, um, that's kind of like this. It's like a tarot card. Like, what is the reading for today? For us, sometimes, if you get an a, a oracle card or you get a, um, a tarot card, then these things are going to um, just kind of give you something to think about that you weren't already thinking about. And that helps you to see things in a new light. Yeah. Just that by itself. But anyway, they come from a world, though, that not everybody's literate. This is the key. So there are symbols in these kind of late medieval visual depictions that they would have known. There's like a, a language mm-hmm. that maybe we have lost or maybe it needs some encoding. But basically, um, the way that people could kind of talk about things and deal with things uh, that were not able to read like long pages of prose. And I will say that one of kind of when, when with any of these cards, one of the um, elements of it is looking at the artwork Yes, and don't go straight to the words. Like what does this image, you know, invoke in you? Like what, like, is it invoke or evoke? evoke. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, that's the key thing because the invoke, I guess, invocation is you're like asking a spirit to come in. That would be like the, the medium. That's yeah, the psychic that's not thing. what I'm after. Right. I mean, you know, have at but it. But what does it, whatever. what does it evoke in yeah, you? Yeah. What is you it know, bringing what out? What is yeah. it bringing out? And, um, anyway, I think that, that looking at the art, it's, there's going to be some sort of response just from looking at the images and exploring that in your mind, because that again is playing off of that archetype piece. Right. Like what, you know, that is a universal thing. And so if you're looking at what resonate, what resonates, what surprises you, you know, whatever about the artwork, then that's like kind of the first step that you kind of wrestle with that first. Right. Then you can kind of maybe hear additional lessons based on that, or even see how this art or, you know, you start to notice like some of these pieces out in the world in ways that you never saw that they existed, you know, is often like once we, once we saw the Guanyin um, temple, yeah, we got into Ubers and all sorts of things, or look at we saw Guanyin everywhere. We see Guanyin everywhere. We never even knew who she was, right? And I had been teaching world religions. Stupid me. Like I might have run into Avalokiteshvara, but it's like this side issue. But you can't see what you don't know. Yeah, 
You don't have a category. This for is it. good, right? This is good. This is good. And so, and and there's not a lot of doctrine about Guanyin. Right. So Guanyin is this really important thing, but it's not in books. And so, since I'm in a college class, nobody ever was talking about it because it wasn't a writing. Mm-hmm. And that's like we privilege writing. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you should privilege writing. Maybe you shouldn't. But the point is, not everybody does. So if you want to understand things. Uh, or understand what people are up to. Uh, it's the symbolic language is very important for people. Now, we I'm going to try to convince Stacey at some point, friends, to maybe come back to some of these themes, maybe the the, the archetypes in the tarot, and, and maybe the, go through some of these other uh, oracle cards we'll talk about at the end of the show. But um, for now, I just want to talk about one, which isn't one, it's zero. Okay. So in the in, in the deck, basically, You're talking about the fool. Yeah, I'm talking about the fool. So the fool is zero. The fool is like the Joker card. But basically, the union understanding of this is you've got uh, these t- uh, these uh, 21 plus the fool cards, and they are all these different kind of archetypes, right? So it starts with the fool. Card number one is the magician. Then so the magician is somebody who's now kind of emerging out of society and like finding spiritual technology. And then number two is the high priestess. Number three is the empress. Number four is the emperor. Number five is the pope. And so you're moving up this ascent of the soul kind of like mastering spirituality and religion. But by the time it all ends, you've got the star card. Of course, there's hope. But you've got like the devil, 15, the tower of destruction, 16, then the star. Hmm. The star, interestingly, if you see it as this journey, because they're numbered, the star card in the tarot comes after the devil in the Tower of Destruction. Mm-hmm. So Molech and everything destroys me and then... You have to rise up rise out of up. those ashes, kind of like <laughs> And so a all phoenix. of that stuff, all <laughs> of your mother. magic, all of your theology, all of your popes, uh, all of your warriors and all of that, it ends in judgment. <laughs> mm-hmm. But judgment's judgment. Okay. Right. So anyway, so but the fool and, and, well, well, and yeah, it ends I mean, with and, the and, world and it comes back to the world and it's whole again. And again... Judgment's only scary when there's something you're afraid of being judged for. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, it's yes. justice. And, you know, and I know, yes. And um, now, the, the main thing, though, is, and to your point, I think a lot of people do agree that the real powerful union stuff is when you're not reading the books. So in the cards, if you buy a deck, you'll have a book. And it'll have an explanation for the most part. It'll have an explanation of what to interpret from this. And I think that's really helpful, especially if you've never done this before. Mm-hmm. So you can get some ideas and then you start to kind of get the idea, you know, and, and do it on your own. But using this more as art to evoke something creative instead of looking for it as if it's like a direct horoscope or something is, is generally pretty helpful. But let me just talk about the, 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 the fool card. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have... We've got an image of the fool. We, we bought one that's up on the, in the room here, um, interestingly. Um, but the fool, I really think it's an interesting, uh, interesting character. Um, but the number is zero. Yeah. So this is the card that even though it's a zero, the last shall be first, the first shall be last, in many ways the most powerful. Now, I don't know if you're going to go into this, but I want to say a common depiction of the fool is sort of this person that is teetering one foot is on like the a cliff, say yep. on the land side, and the other one is in the air, dangling over the precipice, and doesn't care. This and, the fool's like whatever. Yeah, and usually kind of wearing maybe some kind of jester type hat. So in the like Shakespearean plays, what the the jester was kind of the fool, but yes. the jester, jester, the fool, Joker, same kind of. Yeah, and they they basically have the ability to sort of see from a distant 
perspective um, that then allows them to kind of almost because they play both worlds and they can bounce in and out. They can pop into all these different scenes. Then they can tell you sort of the truth of what a situation is because they see the reality and then they can share that reality with everybody else. Now, the thing that's important about the fool is your reaction to it. Mm -hmm. So most people, when they see the fool that have come to be secure in themselves through being a good citizen, they hate the fool. This is when I see people very angry at vagabonds and hippies and people that have, they're not doing it right. They're not conforming. The fool is hated. And, I, and it wasn't until I was kind of researching for this show why I fully understood why the fool is hated, why van life people are hated, why when I'm wearing Oaxacan pants at a Irvine grocery store, people want to beat me up. How can you do that? You know, right. it's like, well, that's not what you're supposed to do. That doesn't look like success according to our capitalist society. But this is the key. This is the key. And I want to read from a, a helpful resource. You can check it out. Sally Nichols, Tarot and the Archetypal Journey, the Union Path from Darkness to Light. This is what she says about the... Uh, the, the but I will say that also defining success is, one, you know, a whole nother thing, right? Like what, how do you define success? Exactly. Well, that's, I mean, that's the whole, I think that's the whole point. So what Sally Nichols says, again, tarot and and the archetypal journey, she says about the fool, um, you know, why shouldn't this young hitchhiker wander about if he likes? Mm -hmm. Like, what's your problem? Right. Why are you trying to control this person? What harm is he doing? But then she answers it. But the harm to the observer is already done. The mere sight of this fellow has opened up a can of worms, and these come wriggling and tumbling out as a dozen questions, each demanding an answer. What would it be like to live like that fellow, to smash one's alarm clock, to throw away one's possessions, to spend this entire spring and summer just roving under the wide blue sky, and so forth? Mm -hmm. You can't undo it. And so I think one of the things that I have enjoyed being is the like Pied Piper, and sorry, parents, oopsie daisy, you got me too late now. I'm already fired myself, <laughs> fired myself from the game. But part of the game was to say, are you serious? Are you guys really doing like weird mysticism yoga? At, at the yes. And for a little while, we're going to do it not to be jerks or to be, you know, just screwing with your fun, but to say another world is possible when you just see it. When, when a little kid who grew up in an uptight fundamentalist family sees some hippies having a good old time and smiling and wearing like, you know, septum piercing and, and funny blue hair, the reason dad has to get mad is that the minute dad notices that his daughter or child of any kind of son sees these weirdos, these freaks, not conforming and not getting struck directly by lightning from God, mm-hmm. that's immediately planted a seed of subversion. Therefore, the, the joker, the, 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 uh, the fool, is anarchy, yeah. is the pilgrim, so, is Jesus saying renounce all these things. So I know that we've talked about this before, but I just want to come back to one thing that pops into my head. That one time when we were camping on Blues Beach and there yeah. was that young family and they had mentioned to the daughter that... In the, she's like, well, how long can we stay? And they're like, well, how long do you want to stay, right? Yeah. And I can't remember her answer, but it was like three days or something like that. And it was mm. kind of like, like almost like 
And I think you said, well, why not three weeks? You know, but like in her mind, three days is acceptable. Three weeks now is not possible, right? Yeah. So you, I, I guess we can like, we, we can be trained into acceptable ways of conforming. So we can have our week vacation. Yeah. From our, our jobs. Yes. But we're not allowed... To live that. To live it. Yes. And the idea, though, that this kid looked around and said, but we could live this. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't think it's the right answer, it is interesting that that opens up the possibility. Because that was the same beach where we saw Jesus and Pebbles, Lord and Pebbles. Yeah. And, and they, they were saying, hey, we live in this way thirty for 30 years. Yeah. And so that's going to throw the kid off. Like, wait a minute, maybe, yeah, like you're saying, all those things about money, power, and glory maybe aren't that important. It's interesting that the fool is like the kingdom of God for Jesus. You have to become like a child. Mm -hmm. The kids is like, like having a good old time and like they're playing and it seems like they're off track, but they're actually in the world of genius. Um, Well, they're in the world of presence. They're in the world of the now, the reality, the being. And uh, the other thing is, it's about uh, ignorance in the kind of the sense we were talking about with the Tao Te Ching, like knowing that you don't know. That's like Socrates. Mm-hmm. Knowing what you don't know, that's, that's good. That's healthy. You know what I'm saying? And uh, obviously thinking you know something when you don't, that's not healthy. But knowing something and not admitting it is, is, is very, very unhealthy. unsettling. Tarot cards help you get to the thing you know damn well. All right. That you're afraid to admit. That that's, you're afraid to admit And that's also the shadow self. Yep. The shadow self piece, that's the fear piece. And I tell you now, if there's something that you fear and you are running from it, you will just have to keep running harder, longer, faster. You might get more yeah. creative in hiding from it. But until you turn around and face it, it will always be nagging at you in the back of your head somewhere and probably taking shape in the form of anxieties and perhaps depression there's all sorts of things, and I'm not just trying to oversimplify any of our right. mental health stuff because I know there's some serious, deep traumas. There's all sorts of reasons and causes for some of this stuff. But I will say that these things that are that we're afraid to admit do are very disruptive to our health right. and well-being. And maybe at least it get gets you down the down the line a little bit better, so that you can know what you're going to address with a with a mental health practitioner, yeah. right? Like, what are you really trying to get to here? Yeah. And, you know, it's cheaper. <laughs> and then you can at least have a starting point. Anyway, uh, definitely, friends, not, we're, we really got off track a little bit <laughs> on, like, d- talking about it in terms of uh, psychiatry and, 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 uh, and psychology. But, um, but I think part of it is that that world also does not tend to pay enough attention to Jung. And that's why I don't find it as helpful for myself. But I live in that world of myth. Maybe people that don't, like, that's stupid. Like, yeah. that doesn't work for them. Yeah. But, I, but I do. Now, um, I, I want to make sure just on, the, um, on the, the business about divination, I want to turn to the actual cards themselves and how we've used them, okay? Um, th- again, there's, a, there's an interesting, a similar thing, the I Ching, mm-hmm. which we could talk about in another, uh, another context. But it's similar to this whole business. And the reason I bring it up is you, you've got this idea that the, the tarot cards themselves... Um, we're not sure really where they kind of o- originate. It, it is interesting. I, I kind of wish this were true. There's sometimes in, 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 uh, 
in the world of history, there are things that I desperately wish were true and just probably not true. Like some people thought that the um, Albigensians, uh, this kind of Gnostic sect of the Middle Ages that was persecuted by the church, was using these images to pass on secret esoteric messages. Oh, maybe it's true. Boy, that'd be fun if it's true. I would be so happy if that's true. I'd be very happy, you know, if... If, if there is a real chupacabra. So I wish that were true, probably not true. There's also this idea that um, it, it, may be relate, it may be related to uh, Petrarch's sonnets to Laura, this, this uh, Italian poet, uh, early Renaissance dude. Um, these are the triumphs. Mm. So the trump cards, like these triumphs, it's these like little um, spiritual journey victories in a kind of medieval allegorical setting. And that's partly, and that's really important because each of these cards also, I'm talking about these major archetypal cards in the tarot, they kind of are sequential. So you understand the one by looking at what was behind it. Mm. So again, the devil and destruction is behind me. And then I get the star card. That's important because that was really where I was at. Mm-hmm. Like seeing it in that, in that sequential journey is, is just kind of helpful. Like, where are you in this, in this cycle? Um, but, uh, but as I was saying, the I Ching, um, I Ching is a, a kind of tool that people have used for understanding that goes back well before the tarot card. And you find something like this in, in, in multiple cultures, but you look at the I Ching and what is it really doing? If you, um, you read it, it's, it's so non-literal, and of course you've got the translation problems, that you, you almost, it's like uh, you can use it to bounce ideas off, but it's, it's like a Rorschach test. Mm. It's, mm. It's, not, it's, like it's, it's not anything very clear. But just like Taoist philosophy, by observing nature, it will give you insight, heights and depths, yin and yang, all that. We'll, we'll talk about that at a different time because it's kind of a different space base um, than the the more archetypal stuff we're going to talk about. But but it still deals with this problem of, is it magic or mysticism? Is it insight or is it trying, is it conjuring? And uh, our translation of uh, chapter 38 of the Tao Te Ching basically uh, is to say that I think that the Tao Te Ching is not positive about divination. They recognize that there are some Taoist traditions, some ancient Chinese traditions that are going to use these principles to have long life and to create the elixir of life, to create some kind of potion that's going to give you magic powers or something. And the Tao Te Ching is saying, no, no, no. Well, here's our translation. Divination is a mere parlor trick with the Tao and leads to superstition. Mm -hmm. So this is to my dad. Hopefully you're you're listening, Pops. Um, Love you. The... The use of tarot cards as divination is superstition mm-hmm. and is not what we're after and is, in fact, rejected by the Tao Te Ching. But the use of observing non-literal things, non-doctrinal things, symbolic things, not as a way of superstition to predict the future, but to understand the present mm-hmm. and where we're headed in the current present situation is very very helpful. Um, so the, the text continues, therefore a great man abides in substance rather than externals, in fruit rather than flower, uh, disregarding the former while cherishing the latter. Now, here's my question to you. When we've done the tarot cards, mm-hmm. okay, like straight up, 
We got a tarot deck a while back. Uh, what, what's this one called, Stacy? I, I like it. This I like one, the art on it. This one is called uh, The Golden Tarot by Cat with a K Black. Love the artwork. Just a delightfully aesthetically pleasing card. Got this a long time ago at a Barnes & Noble or something. Felt really naughty about it. It was like buying pornography or something. Just so illicit. Um, and didn't really crack it open that often. But it was just kind of interesting. I was just interested in it, uh, research and so forth. This must have been 20 years ago, 21 years I ago. I don't know. I didn't realize it until we realized that our youngest was born after we bought this. Yeah, so it was before, yeah, before 2002. And what did we learn when we did that? Oh, we learned that we were going to have a baby. It was like really weird. It was like we, we, we did we did Or at least, can I say this? Because yeah. again, that sounds like future prediction. But it did say fertility. It said yeah. life. Oh, 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 oh. And okay. We're totally going to back up on everything we said. Okay. So here, here's the point. Everything we've said up to this point is our advice is use it for therapeutic purposes. But now we're turning to something that I don't know what to make of, but is a friggin' straight up fact. And that is my, I'll just start out with the hypothesis. The tarot cards have, to my knowledge, never like been just flat out wrong. No, and in fact, almost terrifying, almost, almost frighteningly almost, too. I on guess track. I would say there's almost a way in which, in my mind, there's like something there that rings true that tells me, okay, that we're on the right path here. Like almost, it's like proving, like okay, I, yeah, you know, I can, I do. can, I can share something. I can share something that you're definitely going to trust and say, hey, yeah, that, that that describes me, or that describes something in the situation, or whatever. Right. One of my favorite spreads for a lot of the old stuff was the Celtic cross. Is that what they call mm-hmm. it? And uh, that's that's one that has so many layers to it. But it first starts out by proving to you that it understands everything that's going on. And that's I would say, like, if you're like, if you're afraid of this stuff, like, that's where you maybe don't. I would say this. There's other cards we'll talk about. We'll talk about the oracle cards. The tarot cards are the most spicy for us. Mm-hmm. We don't pull them out that often. We pull out the other oracle cards, which we'll explain. But um, uh, but the tarot cards, I would say, never let me down. Mm-hmm. Always were true. Always were accurate. In the end, not only were they accurate about things that were going to happen, and they were th- accurate about things that were going to happen, and we did not believe at the time. Mm-hmm. So the only thing I could say is there are things that ha- that that were like kind of revealed in them that I didn't want to accept. Mm-hmm. But I can get to this now. What I'm trying to say is, I know that there's a way in which any Rorschach test, any kind of random thing, can allow you to feel resonance with it, or you can read a horoscope and it says, "Oh, that's that rings true." And, you know, or you go to a sermon and it sounds, oh, it sounds like this is speaking to me. We can do this. I'm saying it's more than that, right? Like my experience with them has been so uncanny. I don't know if this would be true for everybody else. I'm just saying my personal experience is such that I would almost say it's spooky, but benevolent. Mm-hmm. Like it's like the universe or my own brain communicating to my conscious self something that's obvious and true, but man, I couldn't see it. But it's not like it could have been another way. In other words, there's something about it where if I showed you the problem and I showed you the question and I showed you the spread, most people in each of these instances would say, that's pretty weird. Yeah. 
I mean, it doesn't even matter whether we were going to have a kid. We were asking about the future and children and stuff. And then it, it, it the only time this ever happened, right? Like we had this, like, this little baby part, under yeah. a tree. I mean, whatever. It was, this was, so um, but the point is um, it, pre- it, it predicted this. There was a time when the, there was a time when the, the cards suggested to us that somebody that was in our inner circle was going to betray us. And we knew exactly what it said. And we're like, that's not true. Yeah. Well, we, we cannot accept that. Cause it also kind of described, you know, like what that person is and like, it was like perfect. Like, huh? That person could never do that. Like it said what they were going to do. It described the person in, in the way that we were reading it, you know, like as we were kind of thinking about it, we we're like, but that's not, that's not true. And it, to- it totally turned out to be true. Yeah. That was, that, that was, that was weird. Was now weird. let me use that one as an example. The thing that's spooky about it, the thing that's synchronicity is that this weird kind of union, this resonance, this beyondness, there's something going on. Maybe feels to me. That's something I'm just my perception. On the other hand, I recognize that what might be going on is I know this reality about this person, but I can't admit it because of what it means for me to admit it. Mm-hmm. So the cards allow me to finally realize the thing I already knew. Now, maybe that's what's going on. Still spooky, yeah. uncanny, weird, but that, that's that. Um, but whenever, um, have you ever used it and it told you no? Like, don't do that. Like, cause it's not like it just gives you your desires. Well, there were times when, I don't know, like I'd been pretty frustrated in our relationship and I was like, Ugh, you know, like, I don't know, like, should we end this? Should, you know, should I, I don't know, get a divorce, think about it, whatever. I don't know. And then the cards have always told me no. Me too. And I've, I didn't realize you did this too. Cause I did this a lot too. <laughs> hey, love I, I think it's really weird because, um, I, I kind of thought, well, this is like this illicit kind of demonic thing. It's going to give me permission to, it's going to encourage me to do the naughty things I want to do. Well, and, and, and then it said, and no, basically the way that we're doing it and the reason we're saying, like it says no or whatever, but there's like two paths basically. And like, you're talking like, about the Celtic yes, cross. And so red. the one is like the best that you could uh, hope for with the current situation. And then the yep. other one is like, you know, the, the final outcome, you know, should you, um, you know, like take this other path. Yeah. Take this other path. And so it was like the two different, so it was like, basically it was saying the, the path of us, like say being divorced is misery, dark, ruin, yeah, blah, ruin, you know, this, but whatever. then together it's like this yeah. growth and yeah. this like, you know, like, these amazing okay, things. Like that and, makes sense. But you can't really do anything. Like when you, when it's that, I mean, I, it's funny that you say that cause I'm, we're not doing this at the same time. No. And I did it more than once. I've done it multiple times. And I got the same answer. And that's I mean, different cards, maybe different but. cards, but like something similar. And I'm like, wait a minute. Can it one time just like luck of the deck, just accidentally say like, you know, you, you get out of here, you have fun. No, but I'm not saying that that is even like entrapping. It's, it's that I'm like, oh yeah, I understand what it's saying. Well, it's like the way it says it, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, of course. It's not that I should stay in because the church wants me to stay in. Mm-hmm. That's not it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, whatever it is. And maybe we don't stay together. It's not the point. It's like at that moment, you're asking like, where am I at? Is this impulse the right impulse that I want to quit or whatever? Now, the same thing happened is I was crying last year here in Portland. Mm -hmm. We were in the RV and we were like, you know what? We got to go back now. 
Like, I had had such a fun time in Portland. I'm like, now I got to go back. We realized kind of, you know, again, during that time that we had off that how, um, I guess we didn't even realize how much it would upset us to come back until we had to like, one, live in that existence where we thought like, oh, we don't have this hanging over our head. And then two saying, nope, but sorry, you've got to like go go back back into this box, you know, get back in the cage. And I was like, I cannot get back in the cage. And I said, Stacy, what can I do to just not go back down? Just tell him I'm not coming back. I'm going to stay right here. What is going to stop me from staying right here in Portland? And I'll just get a job at a restaurant and just never go back. And I'm like, you know, this is what we should be liberated to do. I don't have to go back. I was getting, you know, uh, a call from my bosses, you know, talking to people. They were saying, yeah, you know, you got to get in line here. Yeah. I mean, they were nice enough about it, but it was like I was getting hassled by evolution and stuff. I'm like, evolution? MFers? I'm... I'm well, into that, pl- I'm into plant medicine, well, tarot cards, and nudity. Well, that was when I, I'm pretty sure the evolution is you were told, not the problem. You were also that <laughs> I got was a when, bigger issue. That's when they said you can't um, what something about care about the kids and teach them. Yeah, that was that article. You can't care about the the kids' uh, yeah. well being and teach them the faith and, uh, and do science. true science. And I'm like, okay, well, one of them's got to go. I don't going to care about the kids. Sci- kids number one, science number two, and your bullshit church can be number three. Thank you, if that. Yeah. If that's the game we're playing, right? Well, anyway, I understand this. And I'm hoping that the tarot cards are going to say, that's right. You guys go. Just get the hell out of there, whatever. And it said, no. It said, you have, the path of that was dissolution. Darker, it, was like, yeah. it was like, no, we're, we're screwed up. But to go home was, but it also showed that there was like. There was a time. There was a time to it. it. It wasn't like I should go forever. It was like, the question wasn't. Because we had a different one where, like, should we leave ultimately? And it was very clear that we should leave ultimately. But when is that timing? But should we leave right now? In other words, should I just tell the college to screw off? I'm not going to come back. Now they're expecting you to teach classes very soon. Yeah. Like, um, I didn't want to let my friends down. But, we like, were, I was getting to a we spot where I'm like, I can't on fix. campus as house parents. There is no way the institutional conservative church is able to deal with LGBT students and, and inter, interfaith students non-religious students and, and uh, students of color in a way that I feel comfortable with. And I came to realize that there's nothing about any individual, but like the system itself is unable to address the situation. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the church is going to go on dominating people's lives and, and crushing their souls for another 500 years. Great. <clears throat> Enjoy your positions of high priesthood. But um, I'm the joker. Mm-hmm. Okay. In that sense, not the, the you know, anyway, <laughs> not the Batman character. Uh, but, but even then, there is an anarchy to it. There's the pilgrim to it. There, there's all this, right? Now, um, so back to back to whether it worked or not. Never, never let us down. But what did it say? So it said, yeah, go back to California. Yeah, it, so it basically there was there, there was there was a time. Yeah, it was like basically there's a time that you know like a season to go back for honor your commitments kind of thing. Yeah, you know, I'm like I don't want to honor my commitments, devil cards. <laughs> and and then um, but and then find the way forward from out, you know out from there. It's kind of like that idea. So we're like, all right, well we'll put our tails between our legs and yeah. go ahead and start crying, driving ourselves down South, <sighs> you know, feeling hotter and hotter each moment we're driving along the five freeway, yeah. which is a pretty bleak 
drive sometimes yeah. when you're going south. And I was on leaving I all my north. joy yeah. into this other thing, and then and then I was like, but happy. we still were happy because we, we walked onto campus and we like, knew you know what we were going to we do. Can, we're going to do the we've yoga. We've had a lot of healing. We can bring you know we'll bring this back to to everybody. We'll share this with you know. Walked for, back onto our apartment at campus. We're smiling, and then within 48 hours. Yeah, I was there was again. all sorts of drama. And Just because going I had checked in with students that I had hoped like had been able to find some closure on this or that, and I'm like, oh no, this isn't being handled. And the thing is, not by anybody in particular, but by the system. There's no, there's no, there's no construct for it. Anyway, it was good because we needed to be there. If we had, Augie died. If we, we, if I would we have been had been if from here. here, that we just kind of walked away from everything. I mean, gosh, like we wouldn't have had any sort of. Um, connection to that i mean we needed to be in california during that all those beautiful time, time times with augie and the family and then be there for the family to be able to be there in like a stable environment if we would have been living in a van we couldn't have had the the reconsolidation of the rest of our family together and in mm-hmm. that support anyway so like what is that is that some spirit telling me something? I don't freaking know. But all I'm saying is that happened to us. Yeah. That definitely happened to us. And it was more real than most of the Sunday school stuff. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like there was the four. Like I, I smelled something. You know what I'm saying? And, and again, benevolent. Like mm-hmm. and right. And also like when you see it, you're just like, oh, of course it's true. You're not going to be told something you don't believe. It's like, no, you, you know, like I should go back. Yeah. Like you can't. I mean, I don't. I mean, it's not in our nature to just leave people high and dry that are that we've committed to that, you know, that we've like made we've made a decision that we were going to do something yeah. and, and we just wanted to see. On that the other hand, through. sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking we got to keep doing that thing. And sometimes you just need to go. Yes. For your own healing. And in many ways, if I would have, if I would have known then what I know now, yeah, timing was important. If I would have known then what I know now, it's like, it's actually a lot easier to, to restart in a sense, if you're willing to like go through that bumpy ride. It's like, I thought, well, I can't ever leave this. It's kind of like you're in a bad relationship and you can't conceive of anything else because you don't know what's on the other side, loneliness. Right. Now get out of there. Maybe you're going to find true love. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I think that's our message too for people. It's like, we're not just saying like, when we say ghost church, we're not saying like, get rid of your spiritual quest. It's just like, don't leave it to some organization that's a corporation basically with a logo. I would say that, you know, if, if church is way too important for that, if church really is, you know, the community that is life giving that, you know, that you're surrounding yourself with, like Stick that's with it. beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Don't get out of that. Yeah. But if you're doing church as a brand, as mm-hmm. a corporation, as an entity that you're trying to feed as a beast. Unwarranted, or if you think you're going to please God by going to yeah, church. Yeah, right. Like uh, there's so many levels of how stupidly wrong that is. I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm saying like, it's just stupid that I was so caught up in that myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I feel, I don't know what stupid is another word, but like, I just like dumb. <laughs> like for me, I'm looking at myself going, why would I even have thought that? And even if I thought that God wanted me to sit in a pew to not go to hell, why would I do it? Like, right. I why would I want to worship that God? Yeah, right? shouldn't I have said, like, even if it's not true, shouldn't I have said, no, no, that's a, like, that's a bad plan. I'm against that plan. Right. <laughs> and I think that that, you know, and that honestly is also one of the issues with um, sort of in my religious, religious experience, having sort of the hierarchy be a main thing or the patriarchal society, because basically then it tells you accept what the man God figure is saying to you, no matter how abusive that is, right. no matter, I mean, and, and I don't think that God 
maybe there are, if there's multiple gods, there are some that are going to then maybe be abusive. Yeah. Um, but don't worship that one. <laughs> and the idea. You don't, oh, yeah. you don't need to give your allegiance to that. Right. A, a cruel God is, is something that that conception of God gives justification mm-hmm. to cruelty in human beings. Yes. Even though you've got this religion of love, theoretically, but if you've got a God that's a tyrant, then you can be a tyrant. Well, right. And wherever you fall in that scale of you're Mm. allowed to be a tyrant to... Over the people below you. Whoever's below you, whatever's below you, animals, whatever. Hierarchy. Yes. And I think that that means then that there's always something on top and something on the bottom that is usually suffering for the needs of those on top. Or above you, whatever that looks like, right? Mm. And um, but the fact I don't want that as I don't want that as a parent to my kids. Why in the world would I, as a god, want that? Yeah. To all of humanity. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. Yeah. And so. And and if there is a god that wants that, I don't. I need to say like, why do I? Why do I want to give my allegiance to that? God. Now that what you're saying is the faith of a child. That's the kingdom of God. If you can, like a, a child would be like, I don't like that. That's stupid. Right? Like if you can be a child and like see things for the first time, then that's the opening to the kingdom of God. What present, what prevents us from doing that is our, uh, our conscious mind. So to get back to the unconscious through tarot can be very helpful. So Stacey, what's your like, just again, the takeaway for, for folks leaving their old system for those who have recently left or ghosted church or thinking about it. What, what, what's, what's here for them perhaps. So I would say, um, you know, that ability to, to play with various forms of art or symbolism or these ideas and say, what rings true about this in my life or what doesn't. Um, and it offers insight into this world as a perspective that again is outside of your actual, like, I think we're a little bit too, um, hyper-focused in our own lives and our own selves and our own stories that if we pull back a little bit and get a bigger view, per, uh, bird's eye view, if you will, yeah. um, of where we are in that big narrative, right. Yeah. Then, then that can help you process some of that through the tarot cards. And this so. isn't like a meta narrative of all, of all the universe. It's so much more like, this is your story and like your Dharma. You're like, you're where you go. Like what's, what's your play in this, this narrative, the story that you're in. Yeah, so uh, I, I, I highly recommend at least looking into it, right? Because I think for some people it might be like another form of woo, and if that's the thing, no. But it, but in many ways, if you're trying to understand like this journey, check out stuff like uh, uh, the Sally Nichols book, links on uh, protectionnoggin.org. Check out different um, artists. Because yeah. what's really fun is different t- uh, tarot decks with different artists. Now, one of the things, too, is, you know, it's not like, again, you mentioned about the Bosch tarot, like being yeah. horrific. You can't just have somebody that just takes little pieces of people's artwork and just zones in on this one little piece and then puts a saying to it. No, and have you it, have want the same somebody impact. who understands tarot now, and somebody is painting can, for it. and Or somebody can do it with another piece of art, but it really does need to, like be connected. It, well, yeah, like it's the not one a that random, you talked about. It's not like a random computer generator type no, situation yeah. through say Bosch's art and then it, you know what I mean? Like that was just a drag. Well, what was this one again? Uh this one uses other uh, bits and pieces. It's collage. What's the name of it, Stacy? Which one? The one that you were holding. What's the name of the one again, the deck? The Golden Tarot? 
by... By uh, Cat Black. Yes. With a K. So that one uses art, but it takes pieces of different paintings or whatever and puts it together. So yeah, you're using other art like as a collage, but it needs to be very intentional and symbolic. All right. That's giving you some stuff to play with. And I would say for me, the thing with um, tarot is that especially when I've been trying to sort of make certain decisions, not sure exactly how I feel about it by doing a tarot situation in that, you know, like I, then I, it brings clarity to my own thinking on it. Does this ring true? Yeah. How, you know, how does it feel to, like I said, like almost like flipping that coin to play out this situation versus this other one. And it helps me to usually, you know, make decisions in a way that brings me a lot more peace. So thank you. Let's pause here for a second. We've been talking about in this first part, we've been talking about the traditional tarot deck that you could find in various forms, easily accessible, well-known over the years. Now we're going to move into something that's a little bit more recent, and that is these Oracle decks, right? Okay. Um, and uh, we'll talk about our story with that. Very different. So even if you don't like the tarot stuff, stay tuned for part two, where we're going to talk about I, some I of these like themes. the Oracles are more devotional. I'll yes, start it yes. that way. Different, kind of a different thing. Less um, like doing self-psychology, and, and although there's, that stuff is there, more like inspiration yeah. and, and hope. All right. Thank you very much, friends. Until next time. Peace upon peace. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said that wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter low too much.